Hello and welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Tracy Meacham, Zoe Meacham here with Bear It All podcast. So today we're just going to continue on and we're going to talk about a few of the testings that's done in late pregnancy or later pregnancy that we just want to discuss a bit further and talk through. And if we get a chance, I also want to bring up some sleep changes that have happened over the years that have just come into my into my awareness. So, Zoe, if we're going to start, we we'll, might start with one that I'm not sure when this happens, you'll tell me, but around the middle of, it's a glucose tolerance test anyway. So do you want to have a chat about that mm. with us and inform us a little bit more about what's involved and why it's done and all the things? I have like a spiel and I can feel myself starting. So strap yourselves in. <laughs> so the glucose tolerance test is a test that's done during pregnancy to diagnose gestational diabetes. So diabetes when you're pregnant. So as soon as the pregnancy is done, no more diabetes. It's just while you're pregnant, you have diabetes and then to manage that. So there's you are high risk and there's categories for a high risk person to get gestational diabetes. They would recommend an early glucose tolerance test in Queensland. I'm not sure. I can't remember if they do it and if this is nationwide or not. But yeah, they'll try and they say like catch it early so that you're not waiting until you're 28 weeks to get the diagnosis. They'll get it earlier. Brain kick in. I can't remember how many weeks maybe around 20 or so weeks to get that first one done. And then, yeah, if that one's negative, so no gestational diabetes for that first one, and that's for only high risk. So if you're in the low risk category, you'll you'll get just one done at 28 weeks, which is most people will get it, just one done at 28 weeks, offered at 28 weeks. So if you're negative for the first one, though, if you are getting two, if you're negative for the first one, they still do recommend you get the second one. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would always like tell people up front that that's the, you know, that's the guideline. That's what's recommended. Are you happy to do both of them or would you prefer to do one of them or like up to you? Another thing that I educate on is, when I talk about what's on offer, I also will always discuss alternatives. So if you don't want to get this done and then what that could look like, like the options around that, if there is further testing available and with the glucose tolerance test, there is. So you can get a fasting blood sugar done in just a general, general like bloods taken. Then if that one's in a certain parameter, then it would be an indication to go get a glucose tolerance test done, or it may just diagnose you straight away with gestational diabetes if it's over a certain amount. And if it's lower than that, then it's the guidelines actually say you don't need to go and get one done. So this is what they were doing back in the day. But then I think that there were some people that went undetected, like they had a low blood sugar for that reading. And then, but if they went and did the glucose tolerance test, it may have picked it up. What the glucose tolerance test involves is fasting from 10 p.m. the night before. So this is really important. Most people will have dinner at like 7 and then not eat for the rest of the night. But I have found that you can get some really inaccurate results 
So because you fast for too long, so your body actually releases glucose by the time you're going and getting the test done. So actually to have something to eat at 10 p.m., this is not like ice cream or sugar. This is like avocado on something, cheese to try Mm -hmm. and like the fats and the protein to just give you something substantial, like a bit of Greek yogurt, natural Greek yogurt or something to tie you over and then go in first thing the next morning to have this done. And you will be in there for about three hours for the glucose tolerance test. So you have an initial blood test done and then you have a sugary liquid drink, which everybody tells me tastes awful and can taste like flat warm lemonade so not not the nicest and then you wait one hour after you've had that drink and you get another blood test done and then two hours after that drink and you get another blood test done so it's showing us how your body is responding to fasting how your body is responding to one hour after having like a whole lot of sugar and then two hours after having a whole lot of sugar so if you if it's if your readings are high it's telling us your body's diabetes is not being able to break down the sugar so there's too much sugar around in our bloodstream and this can have obviously if our babies are getting high amounts of sugar then they're going to be larger babies and then we just need to watch for any kind of they, they would want higher monitoring and things like that if you did have gestational diabetes so it's saying like that our insulin is not we're insulin resistant and we're not producing enough insulin to fight that that glucose that's being flooded into our body so that's a large amount of sugar that we're being hit with in the glucose tolerance test which is not a typical it's not how our body typically you know ingests sugar or you know digests sugar so could you talk a little bit more about about that and and maybe even the effects that that could have on our and on our baby. I would recommend everybody to do their own research around this. There's lots of studies and research. I've had clients that have flat out refused to do the glucose tolerance test because of the, the ingredients in the actual sugar drink. And like you're saying, it's not as natural for our bodies to intake this. And women, I've had so many women say that either they've vomited with the drink and they've been unable to do the glucose tolerance test, which I've seen some that will just keep going back and trying. And it's like, wow, like I don't know if they know that they don't, that it's not a compulsory thing. Like you're not failing your pregnancy if you don't do it. But I've also had, I'm not saying don't get it done. This is, I'm really, as a midwife, I'm not saying don't get glucose tolerance test done. I'm just saying these are your options. I've also had women that feel really good actually in the early stage of pregnancy and especially that second, like going into that second trimester, they feel really good in themselves and in their pregnancy. And then after the glucose tolerance test, they just feel yuck for ages. Like I've had a lot of women that are like, what am I doing? Especially if they're really conscious of what they're putting in their body and really aware of, you know, eating organic and choosing that lifestyle and then you go and have this all these chemicals so they really can notice those effects is that what you mean by the glucose yeah. tolerance test yeah it yeah. is and I and I think what you're saying is that there are other options so could you just go through yeah. what the other options are available or like a finger prick test yeah so 
sorry to cut you off there. No um, one, one option is to go in and get, so 28 weeks, we normally do like a full blood count, which shows us your iron levels and things like that. Anyway, that's that general time we have a checkup of your iron stores. So we can go in and do a fasting blood sugar with that blood test as well. So that will just be included. They'll just take another tube or just add on another test in the same tube. And yeah, that can be that. And like I said, there are different parameters. There's also an option to do, I think it's seven days, like one week or five days worth of you monitoring your own blood sugar levels. So this is, this is the management or the monitoring you would do if you had the diagnosis for gestational diabetes. But so a, a fasting blood sugar tells us your blood sugar in that moment. Like the other one tells us your blood sugar in that moment only. The glucose tolerance test tells us your blood sugar, how it responds to sugar, like a high amount of sugar. And then this um, monitoring of your blood sugar gives us like a good indication of how your body is responding before you eat because you have, you take your blood sugar, which is like what you're saying, the prick of the finger, and you can just get these monitors from the chemist. You can hire them. So you do a prick of the finger before you have something to eat, then two hours after you have something to eat and it's normally like three meals or two meals or you can just do it randomly yeah randomly randomly as well it's a really good like women that do have gestational diabetes and they're monitoring it really well through diet they find it a very educational practice for themselves to see how their body is responding to food which would just be incredible some women can't do rice rice spikes their blood sugar other women you know, it's really interesting to see how each woman responds. So they, they, they're getting to know their bodies more actually. So that is another alternative for you to take that into your hands. And I have had a few um, clients that have chosen to do it that way. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes. So I, I love that it's actually an option. You know, it's not, it's mm. not the only way there are, you do have other options with it. You don't have to choose to, you know, have this. Well, you know, it takes quite a few hours, quite a few blood, different blood tests. Mm. You know, you're there for quite a while as well as ingesting uh, a large amount of sugar into your body or chemicals, as you said, into your body. So there's another test that I wanted to also for you just to give us a little bit of, I'm going to say education around or information around. And that's, can you please help me with this? G, GBS. GBS. So yeah. this is the vaginal swab. That's yes. done later in pregnancy, like, you know, 30, 36, 37 weeks before you deliver. Is that correct? Yes. So in some states around Australia, they will recommend it's routine practice that they will offer a swab around 38 weeks. Yeah. 37, 38, some 36 to assess if you have what's called GBS in your flora, in your natural flora, in your vagina at that present time. It's group B strep. I'm pretty sure I might get confused because we just say GBS all the time. And this is actually a natural flora. Like I may have it in my vagina now, like you may have it and it doesn't bother us. This is our normal flora for our bodies. However, with babies what we have found is that they can get really sick really quickly from this bacteria so 
they have brought it into practice to swab everybody. And if you are positive and you want a vaginal birth, you're planning on having a vaginal birth to give you, they would recommend having antibiotics to kill that bacteria so that when baby comes through, it's not going to be exposed to the group B strep. The thing with this is the bacteria life lifespan, I should have done research before I jumped on here to know exactly, but it's only seven days or something like that. It's not five, seven, maybe, I don't think it's 10. So it's only like that length long of a lifespan. So what that means is we, like when I was working in Darwin, we used to do this. I know that in Wodonga, so in Victoria, that's still a routine practice offered Mm. for every woman. And, yeah, when I was working in Darwin, we would do it at, say, 38 weeks. And then she would, if she was positive, we're on our chart or, you know, clearly state GBS positive, so requiring antibiotics in labour. But weeks gone by, she may not birth her baby until 41 weeks, 40 weeks, you know. So by that time, who knows if she's got GBS in that moment. And it, I saw a lot of women getting antibiotics and who knows if they still were. And I saw um, women that weren't getting antibiotics. And actually, this baby got really sick in Darwin. I haven't seen it before, but really sick. And she was GBS negative, but the baby had group B strep. So it just goes to show the inaccuracy of the testing. And I think as midwives, when I was working there with a few of my beautiful friends, as midwives, we were like, what is going on? You know how you just see your practice and you're like, this is telling us nothing. How come we, we're giving out antibiotics like they're nobody's business. We're killing all this woman's flora and gut bugs and the babies as well would be affected by the back, like the antibiotics. But we don't know if she's actually got GBS in that moment. So it was almost like like a blanket kind of everybody have antibiotics just in case you still have GBS right now because the swab takes, we can't do it instantly. So we could do it when you're, you come in in labor and then find out the results straight away. We do need a few, a few days to find out those results. So yeah. Um, what else do I want to say? So in the state that I'm in, thankfully New Zealand doesn't do it. And in the state that I'm in, in, in Queensland, we do not do, we do not screen routinely. So that is amazing. Yes. Go Queensland. Yes. It's so amazing. So what we would do is we do a urine normally at the start of pregnancy and just send that off just to check, make sure everything's okay in the urine, looking for infections. If that comes back saying you have group B strep in your, in your urine, then If it's gone as far as the urine, the the evidence says if it goes as far as being in your urine, then you have it systematically. Like it's in your system. It's gone further than just being your flora, vaginal kind of normal bacteria. It's gone internally. So they would say, well, you're positive. So for birth. So then they would recommend you to, you could, you could ask to have a swab later on in pregnancy. That's not routine, but you could definitely do that, but it would be more like, your high risk for having GBS in your flora. So let's do the antibiotics then. Otherwise, we don't screen unless she's, you know, unless she's had it before. Yeah, we don't, we don't screen every single woman. That's really not a part of the conversation. No, unless we may do the swab if the waters have been broken for a long time, like mm-hmm. her 
her waters have been broken because then that's just increasing risk of if she does have GBS, it can go into the baby a lot more easily if we're doing internal examinations or anything like that. If there's, if there's quite a few days, there's higher risk. So then it may be offered then, which I think is important for women to know what it is because normally you're asked in that moment, do you want this test? We recommend this and you don't know anything about it. But yeah, that's, that's another screening. Thank you. And, and I think it's really important that we know that it's not a generalized, it's not every state, you know, like it's not just because Victoria does it and Queensland, you know, like that doesn't mean they have a higher risk of, of babies being born no. strep and being really, yeah. un, you know, like it is a serious, you know, to Absolutely. baby to be born with strep. They're, they're really, really unwell, you know, mm. and, and at risk of death from this. So, you know, we're not playing it lightly, but we're also saying that you know, you need to weigh up that, you know, another country's not even doing it. You know, New Zealand, who is quite forward in their medical practice, you know, they're not doing it. Queensland as a state is not doing it. You know, like you then have to question whether or not, and I don't, I don't know whether women are told that, you know, like. No. They, they would just think that this is a routine. Absolutely. Um, a routine test that, you know, yeah, you line up for and you get done and then, you know, but there's consequences to that as well. You know, there's consequences to, you know, your baby getting antibiotics, you know, mm-hmm. and going through their system and you, and, you know, and you're getting antibiotics and putting, you know, as you said, you know, your, your gut flora, everything at risk. So thank you for that. That's really, mm. really important. I think for our, our listeners to know about. Is there yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I want to add in there that like, let's go back to thinking, what would I do with this information? Mm-hmm. So if I found out that I was GBS positive, if you're being recommended it, but you know that you're not having antibiotics, like if you're someone that's like, I'm not having antibiotics, let's do, you know, the monitoring of baby after baby comes out, let's watch baby carefully, educate me on how I can look for signs of my baby becoming unwell because they do show us early the signs. So if you're already thinking, no, I'm not having antibiotics, then do you want to do the test? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've got to think about what we're going to do. If you're not having antibiotics, but you just want to know, that's fair enough. If you're not having antibiotics and you're like, well, there's no point knowing, then, you know, don't do the test. And they'll just say unknown and they'll just treat your baby like you're not having antibiotics and then they'll just monitor your baby as if you were positive because they need to look for those signs and symptoms, which just means not giving your baby antibiotics, but looking for signs and symptoms like closer monitoring. Yeah. So just being thoughtful about knowing now the ramifications of doing these tests mm. and then would I do that anyway? Like, am, is that right for me? Does that feel right for me to go down that path anyway? And if not, then, yeah, really thinking about. And I, I was really okay. I know we're, <laughs> I know we're wrap, wrapping up, but just really quick. I was really surprised when I became a private midwife with the group of midwives that I worked with in the clinic that they taught me I don't just need to follow, as a private clinical midwife now, I don't just need to follow my state's guidelines. I'm, I look at South Australian hospital guidelines like they've got incredible guidelines king eddies in wa like i know these hospitals that are really they have really great obstetricians that are women-centered and their policies get really reviewed really quite often so really up-to-date policies so i can actually look in other states to see what everybody else does i don't just have to do and recommend what's done in my state 
therefore I can give like the clients sitting in front of sitting in front of me all of the information this is what they do in South Australia this is what they do in WA so not just thinking this is the way we do it and this is it Mm. no other option everyone does it this way yeah and I think that's what we 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 feel like you know when we're not given options is like well this is the only way you know Mm. and I think what we're trying to do here is say that you know there there are other ways and that you need to be open to uh, you know knowing how other people do it or you know what what the options are for you so thank you for that and just quickly before we do wrap up I just want to talking about wrapping up is about wrapping up babies. So, (laughs) so for me, it's been an education with Darcy and Liv, you know, about to have a baby in a few weeks and talking about to them about sleep and, you know, not having anything in the cot and not putting blankets on their baby and having them in a sleep suit and, and I know, and where that comes from is from SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, uh, where babies, you know, are found to have passed away or died and, and uh, with an, what we term an unknown cause. But what, what's being found is more that the, how the air circulated around a baby, you know, how they're positioned in the bed, what's you know what's in in the cot with them is or can also put them at higher risk so I, I i understand that but the wrapping of the baby and the putting them in the cot in a sleep suit and no blankets um has me a little bit perplexed shall i say so did you just want to just quickly go through because for me you know our babies were wrapped well I don't think I wrapped them so much. I probably started at the start and they probably didn't like it, but they were put on their side. They had, you had bumpers, you had mobiles, you had teddies, you had blankets over you, you had a lamb's wool in the cot with you. And I'm, and I'm not saying, you know, it's like that smacking thing, you know, it's okay because we got smacked and it's all good because we turned out okay. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Because I do understand, you know, the, the ventilation and, you know, that, that's totally fine. But I, I do have, I do have trouble with a blanket over a baby, but could you, do, I don't know if you know much about this or uh, what your thoughts are about this. Are you able to speak to this at all? Yeah. So the guidelines around safe sleeping, what we would recommend as practitioners is to, have your baby at the bottom, the feet touching the bottom of the cot. This is so that your baby can't wriggle down any further. So if we have blankets like covering their chest and tucked in to the side and say they're, they're up the top, so their heads are up the top of the cot, they can actually, they may wriggle themselves down and they may put their face underneath the blankets in their sleep. So if we have them at the end of the cot, they can't go any further down. If they go up, then they they're fine. They're still not going to be at risk of having. So definitely no anything else in the cot. It looks very boring. And a lot of parents are like, oh, but it needs a toy, like in the corner where it doesn't even know that it's there. It doesn't. <laughs> it's um, just putting the baby at risk again if moving around and knocks the not the the information behind it. Recommendations are saying if there's anything added in the cot, 
if the baby wriggles around and they're not at a stage where they can lift themselves up, they can move, they can push things away, they don't have the strength and the mobility of that yet, we need to be the ones to make sure there's nothing that they could smother themselves with is the idea. So, yeah, that's really important. The I think there are these new sleep, sleep like, no, the new sleep, like, what are they called? Sleeping bags that you can put your baby in where, and they're very popular because of the ease of them. Like that many times I've tried to teach like clients and women in the hospital how to wrap their baby with these swaddles, the, the Muslim wraps and, and it's a, it's a skill. Like it took me ages to learn how to, in a way that it doesn't come undone and things like that. So I think that these sleeping bags are just like zip ups. So your baby's feet are all covered. Their arms are recommended for their arms to actually be free because there's new evidence saying that they regulate their temperature through their palms of their hands. So if they're actually being wrapped up, then they can't regulate their temperature, which when I was studying it was their head that they regulate their temperature through their heads. So there's always new kind of mm-hmm. information coming out. And so that's the new thing about the hands. I only learned that like a couple of years ago. So the, I think if they're in the sleeping bag now, they don't need any other blankets around them. Although I'm like you and I really, we were talking about this the other day, I really like to just wrap a baby and I love to put that extra blanket around from their chest down and tuck them in around the mattress to really secure them in because I've I've noticed the more snuggly the babies feel the better they sleep so the tight and the comfy that they feel this is not every baby but yeah I've definitely noticed that so a lot of babies do love the sleeping bags as well thank you that really helps I like that extra blanket on them. I like that extra, you know, and you were even saying like uh, over their feet. I love that. So so thank you so much. And um, we're going to leave it there and we hope that you've got some extra knowledge and something to think about. And um, I would just like to say as well in there, mm -hmm. please like reach out and let us know either in like comment on our, on our podcast or, or reach out to mum or I somewhere, let us know if you're enjoying this information because we're just really talking about what we love to discuss ourselves and as mum's going through it newly with Darcy and Liv, the new grandbaby coming, and it's all fresh for us and obviously this is my bread and butter. So this is why we are really loving this. But we would love to know what you are really enjoying hearing from us. So if it's more of the you know, relational stuff or communicating and yeah, we'll just go in and out of everywhere. But let us know if you're, if you're really enjoying this or yeah, we'd love to hear that. Oh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that matters. And you're enjoying it. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, if you feel like you want to, please, please reach out to us and just give us a hoy. Yes. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you for today. Bye everyone. See you next week. Thanks for listening today. We would love for you to share this episode with a friend or someone who you know needs to hear it. Till next week, stay open, stay curious and show up for what's important. Lots of love.